Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, cats and dogs, and chipmunks everywhere screaming, for once and for all, stop calling me Rocky. I'm not a squirrel. It's Tuesday at 3 o'clock, and you know what that means. It's Tea with BBP. Live from the Michigan State University campus, it's your host, Bill Van Patten, a.k.a. BVP, international superstar and diva of SLA. And speaking of chipmunks. Oh, man. With me in the studio are the Simon. Simon. Theodore. Can I finish my intro? Okay, sorry. Can I finish my intro, please? Sure. <laughs> when, when, when I point to you, that's when you can talk. Okay. Oh, wow. Wow. Harsh. Gosh, harsh. No, I can't. Now you ruined the, you ruined yeah, the you intro. Yeah, you did. I'm Should we start again? No, no, oh. no. Daniel, start the music again. We're going to start all over again. <laughs> Jeez. It's been a full moon, right? Jeez. Blame it on that. I was going to say, and speaking of chipmunks, with me in the studio are the Simon and Theodore to my Alvin. Angelica Kramer and Walter Hopkins, but I'm not going to say that now. You guys, you guys are not getting introduced now because the, because Walter ruined it. Well, hello everybody. Unintroduced. Oh, Walter, stop pouting! Stop pouting, Walter. Point to me yet. He told me he was going to point to me when he wanted me to talk. I'm pointing. Okay, Angelica's pointing. I guess that works. Hi, everybody. <laughs> That's it. After your jabbering, it's just a hi, everybody. Which one am I, Theodore or Simon? Oh, take a picture. I don't even know what the difference is. No. Alvin is red. Does Alvin wear the red cape? Alvin's the one who always gets in trouble. Exactly. Yeah. Clearly. And Theodore, wasn't he like, he was like the brainiac one, wasn't he? Right. Yeah. And, and Simon was the little one. I guess you're the little one. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> gosh. Can we, can we find out what color pants? I mean, that's important. Okay, you guys, you got, you got, somebody at Mixler can tell you that. Ah, I can't believe it's December 12th, y'all. And this is our last show of the fall semester. Blue. It's December 12th. I mean, really, honestly, wasn't it just like yesterday? Was it yesterday, August? I know. Like, what happened? This semester has flown by. What happened? Anyway, like I I said, it's the last show of the fall semester. We will be back on January 12th. We have almost a whole month. Oh, my gosh. It'll be nice to have a little little break. Um, And we will be back with a whole new semester of things to talk about, you know, on January 12th. But I just have to say... Before we get started with our show, that I am so <laughs> sick. Haha, <laughs> Walter. I'm so sick of this weather. Uh, so you already? Know, yes. So you all know out there in our listening audience, we are banning all phone calls today from anyone anywhere where the temperature is above 40 degrees Fahrenheit. You cannot call in. Just kidding. Just kidding. Anybody can wow, call that's pretty harsh. But you know, gosh, it's just all of a sudden it got really cold. Man, I mean, it was so cold this morning. I took my dog out. He was peeing like little yellow, like little yellow ice cubes. <laughs> that's how cold it was. <laughs> Somebody invited me to see the Iceman Cometh. I said, no way. I'm not going to go see the Iceman Cometh. Is that he a can, movie? He can stay wherever he is. What do you mean it's a movie? Jeez. Iceman Cometh is a classic American play. Oh, sorry. Oh, jeez. Seriously, thought, Walter, you did not know that. <laughs> I'm looking over there, and I'm pretty sure that you were on the same page here, Angelica. <laughs> oh. Don't throw me under the bus. Okay, I want people on Mixler who are listening to chime in if you knew what the Iceman Cometh was. Because I, I, got, I got Simon and Theodore here with me who just do not know what that is. Oh, my gosh. I can't, you guys really don't know the Iceman Cometh? Nope. Oh, gosh. Sorry. All right. Death of a Salesman? Yes. I do know Death of a Sales. I read that in high school. Of Mice and Men? Yes. Yep. Okay. The Rocky Horror Picture Show? Oh, hell yeah. No, I don't know that Little Shop of Horrors? Yeah. Yes. I mean, I've heard of all these. I don't know that I've seen all of them necessarily. Well, no one's asking if you've seen anything. Right. Have you ever seen Lady Gaga in concert? No. But you know who she is? Yes. Okay, there you go. Gee, Walter thinks he has to have, like, on-hands experience everything for him to be able to No, I was just clarifying for you, that's all. Yeah, see? I didn't point to you. You don't need to clarify, Walter. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm still fatuts about the way you ruined my intro. I'm sorry. I didn't know that's where chipmunks. you were going. No. I... Just as soon as you said the chipmunks, you know, there's always a song that comes into my head. So Alvin, Simon, Theodore. Dun, 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 no, 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 no. That's not, no, 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 no. You're a different generation from me. Well, well. I grew up on the cartoon version of Simon and Alvin and the chipmunks. Well, that's the cartoon version. No, back in the like late 60s or something, whenever it was. I don't even remember when it was. But anyway, 
Oh my gosh. Okay, remember the sh during the show there is the SLA challenge question. I am going to give everybody uh, out in the audience uh, the question in a few minutes. And the first person to make it to the phones with the answer wins a prize. And we're all going to go ding, ding, ding. Oh, guess what? What? We're going to have sound effects starting sometime in January. Wow. Really? I cool. heard from Daniel that we have ordered our sound effects board. Oh, so, that's no so fun. I like making sound effects. So ding, 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 and applauding and yelling. Oh. We actually press a button. It'll go ding, 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 and it'll applaud and do all that kind of stuff. So it'll be fun. Hmm. Anyway, so I'll give the question, the SLA challenge question in a few minutes, and the first person to make it to the phones will answer will win a prize. And the same for the Diva challenge question. I'll read that question at some point, and you'll have time to call in with the right answer and win a prize as well. Of course, you can't call in for both. Got to be two different people. And of course, we have Angelica's quote of the week and Walter's read of the week, assuming I pointed him and let him say it. <laughs> the number to reach us at is 517-884-4321. Again, that's 517-884-4321. That's my chipmunk voice. How'd you like that? That was good. Impressive. Oh, man. Dustin DeFelice is on the phone lines waiting for your call. He's lonely. He's like the Maytag repair guy there. He's just standing there waiting for those <laughs> lines to, to light up. Remember, we have four lines now. Um, don't tweet us. Don't mixerize us. Call in. Call. Everybody chat with me. Call, call in, in. Call in. Call in. in. Okay, enough, enough. Angelica will be looking at Mixler to see what issues come up, and she will raise those when appropriate. But she's only going to do that if people call in. So um, don't be shy. Pick up the phone and dial us at. Okay, Walter, I'm pointing at you. 517-884-4321. Can you do that in your Theodore voice? My three-door voice? Your yes, your three-door three oh, voice. I was like, what? Uh, no, I can't. I, I, let me see. Is it just I, a high voice? You can't do it. <laughs> he sounds like that Chucky doll on steroids. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. Wow. All right. Uh, well, here we go. What's our topic this week? Oh, yeah, our topic this week. The, our topic this week. Oh, God, I didn't practice my warm-ups before the show. That's why I'm having tongue-tying issues. Uh, our topic this week is top myths about language acquisition, language teaching. Um, and, of course, I'm going to share mine. This is my list. I actually shared this at ACTFL. I only went over two of them at ACTFL because we didn't have time during the, the session to go over all of them. And I'm curious to see if our listeners have others. Um, Luca put out on um, the Twitter machine to see um, if people could send us their top myths. And we've got a bunch of them here, so some of those dovetail with mine. So I'm going to just read my seven myths real quick. Again, it's my list. It's not an exhaustive list. It's just seven that, that I've dealt with this semester in different talks and things. So here goes. Ready for this? Myth number one. Ready. Everybody knows this one because we've talked about this one on the show. What's on page 32 is what's in your head. That's myth number one. <laughs> myth number two. People walk around with paradigms in their heads. Okay, not a, not a pair of nickels, but paradigms. Okay, myth number three, you have to talk in order to learn. Myth number four, adults and children are different. Therefore, second language acquisition must be fundamentally different from first language acquisition. Myth number five, learners need to be corrected or they will learn, quote unquote, bad habits. Myth number six, some languages take longer to learn because they are more difficult than others. We won't be dealing with that one because I have an SLA challenge question about that, which I'll give in a minute. And then myth number seven, communicative language teaching means teaching the same things a new way. So we'll touch on all these one way or another, hopefully during the show. Again, some of the people who wrote in in response to Luca's um, Twitter, uh, Twitter survey um, have touched on some of these already. And so we'll read some of those in a minute. Again, if you want to get in on this discussion on any of those myths, the number to reach us at is 517-884-4321. Again, that's 517-884-4321. Okay, so that's my list. Did you guys get that? Walter, did you memorize those? Oh, I've got them all memorized. Okay, say one back to me. One through seven. You don't have to... What was number five? Uh, oh. oh, man. I can't say them in order. Um, cheater, cheater, cheater. You're looking. I know. He's looking over my shoulder. Right? <laughs> Learners need to be corrected or they'll learn bad habits. There you go. Good thing those glasses work. You can see that far away. <laughs> okay, yes. All right. And actually, somebody tweeted that on, on response to Luca's query. The um, What was that? What that the person phrase it? Um, something about error correction. I forget what it was. 
Oh, I'm going to have, there's so many. There were like a hundred tweets on this. Um, anyway. Um, so Should have used a highlighter. I know. I know. <laughs> I should have given it to you to do, Walter. I've given you something to do other than talking over my intro. I could, you could hand it over. I could find it no, if you that's want. Right, that's right. Sure. Here's a good one that somebody wrote in. Um, Jeff, <laughs> Jeff said this, that this is not quite a myth that fits into what I'm talking about, but it's an interesting phraseology here. Jeff says, myth that acquisition should be painful and involve rote memorization of vocabulary, boring grammar exercises, and extreme discipline. Mm. I know what Jeff's about there, right? Jeff just doesn't like certain things, right? So he actually put in some qualifiers in there. Rote memorization of vocabulary, boring grammar, and extreme discipline. Um, But I like that. Um, Here's an interesting one um, that Luyan says that contact with input is enough. Luyan says Mm. that's a myth. I'm going to challenge it later on. I actually think um, that it's a myth that that's a myth. Um, I think input is enough. Um, And I'll say why in a minute. Um, here's another good one that somebody wrote in, uh, that only highly motivated students can acquire language. That's, that's certainly a myth. That was Senor Sedge. Um, anybody can acquire language, actually. You don't have to be motivated. Um, you might be motivated to go far than somebody else who's not motivated, but doesn't, you have to be motivated to learn a language. Um... And then Steve, Steve Smith, sort of winks on me, disagrees with me, but he phrases it differently than me, that L2 acquisition is identical to L1. Let's talk about that for a minute because my myth is the following. Adults and children are different, therefore second language acquisition is fundamentally different from first language acquisition. Now notice that phrasing. That does not mean that I am claiming that first language acquisition and second language acquisition are identical. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is at their core, they're fundamentally similar. In other words, they're not fundamentally different. But that doesn't mean they're identical. And so when people hear me talk about that, they automatically think that I'm saying or they reinterpret it by saying um, that first language and second language acquisition are identical. And that's what I'm saying. I don't know if, if, if Steve thinks Steve Smith thinks I, I say that, um, but that was what he said here, that L2 acquisition is identical to L1. Um, um, I don't know. I, I wouldn't, I'm not going to disagree um, that that that's a myth. I'm not going to agree that it's not a myth um, because I think it remains to be seen whether they're identical. But I do know at their core they're fundamentally similar, and I can talk about that. Anybody wants to ask me a question about that? All right. Uh, so let me give the SLA challenge question while we're waiting for the phone. I think the phone's already ringing off the hook. My gosh. Okay. So here's our SLA challenge question. You guys ready for this? Yeah. Angelica, we write are this ready. down. This is an easy true or false question. You always say that. Easy true or false. There is published research that some languages are more difficult to learn than others. True or false? There is published research that some languages are more difficult to learn than others. Okay. First person to call in with a true or false answer to that uh, will win a prize from Dustin DeFelice, who's waiting on the phones there. My God, he's like answering. Look at those fingers going across that phone line there. All right. We got a call from from the great mountain state of Utah. We have Jorge on the phone from Utah. Jorge, are you on the line? Yes, I am. Hey, Jorge, how's it going out in Utah? Good. How are you guys? Great, except for the snow and the cold. Are you as, as snowy and as cold as we are right now? Uh, not today, but uh, last week it was just a little bit. Well, we got a major snowfall last week, and now we're getting a major one tomorrow night and Saturday, and which is a lot of snow for December for us already. It's a little weird. So anyway, enough about the weather. Or hey, you're not calling to talk about the weather, are you? Uh, not really, but we can talk about it if you want. No, no, <laughs> no, no. This is a show about this is a show about SLA and language teaching and so on. So, or hey, what are you calling about? What's up? Well, um, so I'm currently a teacher in Utah, and um, I've been hearing you guys and listening to you guys for quite a while. Uh, you know, I'm trying to go the way, you know, the, the, the field is going with, you know, the second language acquisition versus language learning. And so I just had a question about homework, and I was wondering if I could, I guess, ask it to you guys. I, I know the topic is not that today, but uh, I just thought I'd call. Well, that's okay. Maybe I can turn it into the topic. Maybe I can talk about a myth. I can squeeze a myth in there. So go ahead. Let's see. What's your, what's your question? So um, the reason I'm calling you, and, and, and it's because it's something that I've had in my class. Uh, I've given my students homework, and uh, since I've been moving more from a 
from I'm going into more like communicative classrooms, uh, which is kind of what you guys talk about. So what kind of homework should we be assigning our students? Because I feel like if we assign them a homework that's grammar-based, uh, then I don't think it's fair to them to, know you, to expect them to somehow come back to the class and communicate. So do you have any ideas on what I, what I could do with my classes as far as what comprehensive input uh, homework um, you know, assignments I could give them? Well, it depends on, on how your course is organized and, and depends on what your goals are and how you test. And so, because you want your homework to feed in what you're doing to class, right? So, right. Um, and so if your classes are input-based and interactive, then you should have homework that's input-based. And so let's say that you're, you're working on something like, oh, I don't know what. Um, today, we're going to make a list of all the foods we hate. That's going to be, we're going to see if we all hate the same foods, right? That means that somehow they got to come to class um, semi-prepared in the sense of, you know, when they hear foods in the input. Um, that they're not they're going to start to recognize them. So in other words, rather than try to teach them food during class, they could be self-teaching food through input-based activities before they come to class, right? Um, okay. And so you, you want, again, it all depends on what's going on in class. So I see, I see homework, and I like to call it homework. What I call it is prep work. It, it, prepares, okay. it prepares them for what you want to have happen in class. Um, and here, for example, all, all of our online work is input-based, sentence level, sometimes discourse-based, and it depends. And it feeds into what we're working on. Um, and, we, and we do have grammar-oriented input um, activities online as well. Um, but again, it's not for knowledge to use in class. Um, it's f so the students recognize what teachers are doing in class, and maybe that particular item that they're working on might be useful uh, for the discussion they're having in class that day. So... Um, so again, so it, it, it depends. What you need to have happen online or what needs to have happen outside of class needs to feed into what your goals are for that particular hour. And it's an hour by hour, class by class thing. There's no overarching, no overarching thing to say other than that. That has to fit. You have, their, their homework is to prep them so they can participate in the input and interaction in the class that you have that day. Does that make sense? I see. No, no, it totally does. And, and the reason I ask you is because, you know, uh, as far as what's going on in the class, we've been moving more from, you know, the, the traditional grammar, like ARA, like, you know, the verb endings type of thing, to can-do statements, which is something that I know you've talked about in your class, and, you right. know, it's kind of like the proficiency guidelines from, from, from ACFO. Right. And so, you know, I just kind of, you know, it makes me wonder, like, if, if we're talking about subjects, like, you know, we separate language into, for example, uh, the predator versus the imperfect, like, am I doing them a favor by sending them home with, something that I think they're going to practice on, but then they're not going to acquire anything. And so that's kind of where I'm at. Right, right. And, and I can tie this into the concept of myths for today, too, is that uh, it's a myth that in a communicative classroom, an input-based classroom, that, that there's no homework. Of course there's homework. Or there's no vocabulary or grammar-based homework. Of course there can be. It depends, again, on what your class hour is about. So it's a myth that, that, that there's nothing – that there's – that you can't um, have stuff going on outside of class. So you can, and, and, and you should. Um, the problem we have is that if you use a textbook and you have commercial materials, what's available from the commercial publishers is probably not what you want them doing outside of class. So I see. Yeah, if you look at those materials closely, they're probably not input-oriented. They're probably not meaning-based. A lot of them aren't meaning-based. Um, so, uh, yeah. All right, Jorge. Okay. Well, thanks for your call. I hope everything goes okay. We got more people lining up to uh, to talk to us, so we got I got to get you off the phone here in a second. So, um, enjoy. Right, do you ski, Jorge? Uh, no, really. It's it's my first year in Utah, so uh, I'm trying to get used to it. I, I lived in Idaho, but I never got to it. Every time I got to go skiing, like it was just too bad of the weather, and so we could never go. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, you know, Park City is beautiful. I, I vacation in Park City, but in the summer, not in the winter, because I'm not a winter person. But yeah, so but if you yeah. ski, you ski, you got some great skis, ski stuff going on. Just go up the highway there. What is it, ninety? What's that highway ninety? Is it highway ninety? I forget what it is. Or is it no 80? idea. Eighty or ninety? I, I got nothing. Anyway, okay, all right, Jorge. Okay, well, Thank thanks you so for much, you guys. Okay, all right. Thanks for calling, Jorge. Thanks for calling, bye -bye, Jorge. Bye bye. Bye bye. Um, that was nice. Nice. That was our first call from Utah, I think. Oh, okay, really? Wally, I'm pointing to you. Wally. Do you have a reading for people? Oh, I had to have a reading today? Oh, gosh, here we go. He's, Walter's not prepared. Oh, I have a reading. I do. <laughs> okay. 
What's your reading? I have a reading, and it's a reading from the Tesol Quarterly from the winter of 1990. Hmm. It's entitled "The Least a Second Language Acquisition Theory Needs to Explain." Ooh, I know this article. And it's written by a man named Michael H. Long. And here I'll just I'll just read the little abstract because it's short. It says theories of second language acquisition are attempts to explain well-attested empirical findings about relationships between process and product and interlanguage development and universals and variants in learners and learning environments. An important component of such theories will be one or more mechanisms to account for interlanguage change, while theories differ in scope and so often relate only to partial descriptions, they must account for major accepted findings within their domains if they are able to if they are to be credible. So there you go. Yeah. Check it out. Michael Long, <clears throat> Tissot Quarterly, winter of nineteen ninety. Oh, that's that's a that's a good article because he deals with with basically observations or what we would call facts, right? Things that, that we know to be true about Second Line. That was way back in nineteen ninety. And I don't think any of those have changed actually. And Jessica Williams and I, in our 2007 book, and then again in the second edition, was it 2007? I think it was. A 2007 book, and then again in the second edition, a 2015 book, our theories, a second language acquisition book that we edited. In the first chapter that we wrote, uh, we take 10 of those major facts that Mike Long talks about in the 1990 article for the reader and say, these are things that a theory needs to explain. And so we ask all the people who did chapters on theories in that book to try to explain these things through their theory. Very interesting set yeah. of results. So, good. So we got some facts out there. People, read that. That's good. 1990, Mike Long. Read it. Read it. Read it. Read it. <laughs> Just take it to your bed and read it. All right. I've been reading at night, again, about particle physics. Wow. Yeah. I'm reading a great book by Lawrence Krauss. Or actually, I'm rereading it. It's called Something from Nothing. Huh. And it's about, how the, it's about why the universe exists. Interesting stuff. All right, we have another caller on the phone right now, according to our trusty um, media person, Luca. The caller is Abraham. Do we have Abraham on the line? Yes, this is Abraham. Hey, Abraham, you're calling from Morgan Hill, California. Is that correct? Yes, I am. Almost my old neck of the woods, almost. Yeah, a little further south, right? Yeah, I was I'm a little Bay Area boy. Yeah, so I, we actually, I had an uncle who lived in Morgan Hill. We would go visit him on the weekends sometimes, so. Yeah. So, uh, how's life in Morgan Hill, California? Oh, it's wonderful. I'm, uh, Don't tell us about the weather, please. First... It's rainy, if that makes you feel better. <laughs> um, yeah, surviving my first semester teaching Spanish here. So, oh, good. Cool. Good well. for you. Good for you. So, what's up? What are you calling about? Um, actually, um, you just mentioned your book, Theories in Second Language Acquisition, and um, one of the things that you um, talk about is uh, one of the observations that teachers and learners of languages often believe that what is taught and practiced is what gets learned. Um, And since we're all kind of in grading mode, I was wondering um, if you could talk about how do we grade students if, um, you know, we can't really expect them to learn exactly what they're being taught. Uh, So it wouldn't be fair to grade them on proficiency. so yeah, that's yeah. Question. You you asking the big enchilada question, Abraham? I tell you, it's that if if we had if we could answer that question easily, we'd all we'd hmm. we wouldn't be having this show right nope. now. Um, but let me tell you where I think we're headed and what should happen. I think we need to do away with seat time, and we need to do away with grades. What we should have are exit requirements or proficiency requirements that say. Um, if you are X level, then you can place out of the first three years of Spanish or the first three years of French or the first or whatever. Um, so, for example, here at Michigan State, for example, what we might say is something like, if you're intermediate mid in your speaking ability, then um, you are exempt from the um, language requirement. Whatever language. It could be Swahili. We don't care. It's just whatever language. Um, and then you have to demonstrate that ability, and then um, that gets you out. And then what happens is if you're not, then you take classes to try to – because the, your motivation is to get to that intermediate mid-level. Your motivation is no longer getting a grade on a test or demonstrating your knowledge about language. It's demonstrating your ability with language. Um, and so I think that's where we should be headed. We should all be start talking about that 
kind of model or some hybrid version of that at the very least. Um, because that's the only way I think we're going to make fundamental change in the way the curricula work and, and also in the way we grade and do other kinds of things. I think grading is obnoxious, honestly. Yeah, it really is. I'm finding out. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it's, yeah, because it's, it's painstaking and it's a, it's tedious work. For the students too. Yeah. And for the students too. It's, it's, it's a lot of busy work and your bang for your buck is minimal in terms of developing proficiency and acquisition in learners. Um, I mean, it's fine if you want to develop explicit knowledge and so on. I mean, you know, that's okay. I mean, it's like like linguistics class. I, you know, Walter's taking linguistics classes and Galka's taking linguistics classes. I've taken linguistics classes and we get tested on our knowledge about the way language works, for example, right? Um, so you can do that. But, you know, if your goal is something else, then, then we really have to move towards something, something else. And so I feel your pain, Abraham. Um, and I think that... Um, if if you are you in a situation, Abraham, do you have to articulate to the people? Do you work by yourself in your program, or do you have colleagues that that you can talk to about? I this? it's a it's a private school, so we, I mean we are given a lot of flexibility, but we're required to give them a, a final a final exam, and students were just very scared. Um, I, I teach mostly the the Spanish one, Spanish two students, and so you know they're really kind of scared because they're they're treating it like another subject that they can study for, like math or right. Or, or science, and um, you know, I tried to explain to them like, no, I, you have to understand that I realize that you're not going to speak the way I do in class, and I'm not going to hold you accountable to that. But you know, um, we have to try, we have to do things, we, and um, you know, I, I do try to give them lots of different opportunities where they can get the grade because the grade is important to them. So you know, we have projects, we have homework. Um, and I try not to make the final exam uh, worth too much where it's going to drastically change their grade. Um, but it, it is something that creates a lot of anxiety for students and, you know, for them to be excited about learning Spanish. I don't want them to have that anxiety. Right, right. Well, uh, again, all I can say is that what we need to do, again, this doesn't help you right now in the short run, but but it, it gives you a goal to think about in terms of how you can make these arguments. But as a profession, we need to start making the argument that language is not like other subject matter. we got to stop yeah. treating it like that. We said that before on the show. We'll say it again. It'll, yeah. come up, it'll come up in January. It'll come up in February again. Um, and again, it has to do with these myths we're talking about. For example, that what's on page 32 is what's in your head. That's not what happens in acquisition. Or the myth number two, that people walk around with paradigms in their heads. There's no speaker of a language, first or second, that has a paradigm, habla, hablas, hablamos, hablamos, hablais, hablan, in their heads. It doesn't happen. No. Um, and uh, all these other things that, that are myths about the way languages are learned, um, at least acquired, um, in terms of developing a mental representation, also developing your proficiency. So, so we need to keep working those. We need to educate parents. We need to educate, and we need to start advocating. We need to start advocating for getting languages out of the grading business and the subject business. And it's interesting, uh, since I have a minute here um, before I need to hang up on you, that I was I went to a, uh, visit a class this fall to give a little guest lecture. It was a class full of aspiring language teachers in the School of Education. And a lot of them were fatutzed, um because they were not doing well on the state exam for their own oral proficiency. And so one of the questions they asked me is, how can we study so we can do better on this test? I said, well, you can't study for a proficiency test. Well, what tenses do I need to be studying so I can pass this? Or It doesn't work that way. You're a language teacher. What have you been learning about language and language acquisition that you don't know the answer to that question yourself, right? So um, these myths are just pervasive. And, and, and anytime there's some kind of test, testing like that, then, then we wind up. If we don't educate, I mean, if we can't even get language teachers educated at the point where they understand that you can't study for proficiency because it's not subject matter. I think we're in trouble. So we need to really work on that. So anyway, so good luck to you on that, Abraham. Yeah, well, thank you so much for taking my call. And um, as a first year teacher, I, I must say, listening to your show is something I look forward to every week. Um, well, good. Well, good so. for you. I'm glad. I'm, we're, we make a nice commute, don't we? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I will be flying. I won't be flying over Morgan Hill, but I'll be I'll be visiting my sister in a couple of weeks. So I'll I'll be I'll be over in Chowchilla. So if you want to come over to Chowchilla and have a drink? Let me know. Okay. Okay. We'll Send me an email. All okay. right. Okay. Talk to you later. Thanks for calling, Abraham. Okay. Bye, Abraham. Bye. Uh, yeah, that's that's poor Abraham. You know how many times we've had those kinds of questions or related mm-hmm. questions? It's really no. it's it's the field. It's the profession. We've we've got to start. I don't, and I don't know where to. I don't know how we can 
it's, it's so complex. It's a sociological problem in the profession to change some of these things. All right. Um, God, nobody's calling about the SLA challenge question. Are people maybe, trying to mixlerize it? No. People had a couple of clarification questions, but maybe you can repeat that I SLA repeat, challenge I sh- question. I shall repeat the SLA challenge question. True. Or should I do it like a chipmunk? True or false? <laughs> True or false? There is public research that some languages are more difficult to learn than others. Yeah, and nobody, nobody understood what you just said. Please repeat in your normal okay. voice. True or false? <laughs> Please do it again with your chipmunk voice. Let me do it again a little bit. <laughs> true or false? There is published research that some languages are more difficult to learn than others. No, true or false? There is published research that some languages are more difficult to learn than others. Emphasis on published research. There is published research that some languages are more difficult to learn than others. True or false? God, you can just like read between the lines on that one. Come on, people. Call in. It's easy. You win coasters. We got to get rid of our coasters so we can get some new swag in. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay. So where were we? Oh, yeah. Let's, I want to actually read a couple more of the um, of the um, people, the things that people tweeted that are top myths. And then Walter um, is going to read either an email question or Angelica will go to Mixler for a second. Um, here's one um, that kind of dovetails with one of the things I said. Viviana says that it's a myth that output is necessary for acquisition. And that sort of dovetails with the myth I said that um, you have to talk in order to learn. Um, that is a myth. Output is a byproduct of acquisition. It's not really necessary for acquisition. Now, there are some people who claim it is. Um, um, but um, there's absolutely no research that shows that it is. So um, that's that's an interesting thing. Um then let's see. Um, Christy writes in a couple of items, but let's pick this one here. Um, she says the second one that she puts here that grammar study should precede proficiency. In other words, that you have to study the grammar before you can start speaking and become proficient with the language. Um, actually, the work, this goes way back to the 70s. There was work that came out of the 70s that showed that actually your knowledge of grammar, your knowledge of the language, emerges from your interaction with other people. Um, not the other way around. Hmm. So it's by participating in conversations that you that you that you gain accuracy and knowledge about language underlying you know your ability. It's just kind of counterintuitive for some people, but nope. Any email questions or Mixler before uh, we? See, uh, I think there's a phone call coming in, but we will. Um, I would like to point out that um, people are mentioning that your chipmunk voice is um, raising their effective filter. Oh, too bad. All right. Wow. Well, let's take our next phone call. I'm like, I, you know, gosh, and Alvin Chipmunk was such a hero of mine growing up, too. I aspire to be Alvin the Chipmunk. All right. And look, I made it, too. Okay, we have another caller on the line right now. We have Sean. Looks like Sean is from the great state of NC. That stands for what, Walter? Do you know? Uh, yes, I think I do. What is it? North Carolina. Congratulations. Are you sure? Are you ding, sure? ding, ding, sure. ding, 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 All right. Walter, Walter wins a set of coasters. Yeah, finally. Okay. Sean, Sean, are you on the line? Yeah, I am. How are you guys doing? Hey, great, Sean. God, you sound like you're next door. Well, that's awesome, then. What kind of, fo- <laughs> what kind of, what kind of phone are you on? I'm on a Nexus 5. You're on a what? Nexus oh. 5 and Android. Oh, no, you can hang up. We only take iPhone calls. Bye. <laughs> just, kidding, just kidding. Just kidding. All right. Uh, you're calling about the SLA challenge question, are you? Yeah. Oh, great. Okay. Well, let me read it again for everybody, and then you can tell me what you think the answer yeah. is. Okay. Remember, it's true or false. There is published research that some languages are more difficult to learn than others. True or false? Sean, take it away. I'm going to go ahead and say false. As far as I know, ding, 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 that is correct. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. See, we're I not going to be able to do that anymore. I think people check their swing a little bit is, you know, it's as far as you know or as far as they know maybe by Googling, but the fact that there might not be any anywhere in the universe, like, mm, but, there but is, yeah. There is, there is that infamous chart that came out of the FSI, the Foreign Service Institute, that shows number of hours to learn certain languages. You're familiar with that, Sean? And it says that there are like four classes of languages, Spanish and French are class one languages, for example, where you need so many hours to become advanced low. Um, sure. And then a class four language would be like Arabic or Chinese. You need so many more hours to become uh, advanced low in those languages. And then there's stage, there's languages, categories in between. 
The problem with that chart is there's no research with it and there's no study ever published because those data come out of the government and the government does not publish research. It's all classified. And so these things are floating around out there in the ether as though there is published research and there is none that I know of. So somebody might mixlerize or Googleize or emailize or, or tweeterize or do something, call us and say that I'm wrong. But as far as I know, there's no published research on this. So. So okay. good for you. All right. Well, you're going to get a, a, your prize coming in the mail in the next couple of days. Um, anything else from you, Sean, before uh, we shove off here? Yeah, I have a, a clarification question on one of the main points that you guys keep pointing out on the show, and that's the idea that, um, you know, what, like you always say, what's on page 32 isn't what ends up in people's heads. Um, Is it like, it's like the Pledge of Allegiance. Most people can recite that now, right? What's yeah, on page 32 is not in yeah. okay. okay, go ahead. Right. So what you're saying when you say that, I want to see if I understand what you're saying when you say that. Because I've read page 32 and my teacher has said, okay, the way you conjugate this verb is like this. And then I've walked away later knowing that. But are you saying that the reason that I know that is not because that was on that page, but rather because I was exposed to it in a way that made sense to me outside of that in some way that was somehow implicit? Like they said it, they showed me the page and that's not really what I got. No, what, what I'm I saying is you have conscious knowledge. Your, what page 32 winds up is in your conscious knowledge, but your mental representation sure. of language does not look like what's on page 32. You've got to make the distinction. Okay, okay so that, so that okay. any of us can open a textbook and memorize what's on a page and it winds up in our conscious knowledge, right? But uh -huh. what actually is in your head is something quite different in your acquired your system, your mental representation that underlie, eventually underlie your fluency, for example. So okay. the fact that you can conjugate a verb because of page 32 doesn't mean that that's how, that's what you access later on when you participate uh, in conversations. Oh, so that's not, okay, so that's not the same mental web page that I go to to be able to use that. Right, right. You might wow. access it in your writing, for example, when, you're, when you have time to think about what crash and calls a monitor, that kind of thing. Um, but what winds up in your head is much more abstract and much more complex. In fact, nothing in a textbook is psycho psychologically real. How's that? Okay, yeah, no, that, that makes sense because, you know, when you go and you live abroad, you kind of realize that you're picking up things that are, you're using stuff that's too quick to have been, you know, gone to the gone to the page and revisualized it. Right, um, and and I mean, and and the, I'll just give you the quick metaphor, Sean, that I've used in the past. It's coming out in my book. It actually came out also in in the article I just that came out in Flannels this month, December. That one I said, <laughs> why explicit knowledge can't become implicit knowledge. And one of the metaphors I use is is that textbook rules are, are basically descriptions. They're not rules. So think about this, for example, during the day the sky is blue. If it's not if it's not cloudy, right? So during the day the sky is blue. At night the sky is not blue. It's black or dark, right? Right. And somebody could say that's a rule. Every day I wake up the sky is blue and then at night the sky is black. That's a rule. It happens all the time, right? Yeah. But that is that that describes something, but it doesn't tell us it doesn't tell us exactly what's going on. The sky is blue during the day okay. for a very okay. complex interaction between the way the sun's rays hit the particles in the air and what your retina can perceive in terms of those particles that are spun off of uh, um, those, those rays, those photons are spun off particles in the air. And at night, because there's no sun rays going through the air, there are no particles bouncing off other particles to get hit your retina. See the difference? And so yeah. one is a complex, abstract explanation of something, and the other is a description. Um, and okay. so textbook rules are descriptions, but they're not real rules. They don't, they're not what winds up in your head. So how's okay. that? There you go. That makes, yeah, that makes total sense. Okay, well, Dustin's got your info, so we're going to say goodbye. And thanks for calling in, Sean. You've been great. Of course, though. So have you guys. Okay, all right. Thanks. Bye, thanks Sean. Bye-bye. Okay, Bye-bye. Great. Okay, now we can give our Diva Challenge question because Sean was a champion. And yeah. Okay. Here's a good Diva Challenge question. You ready for this? And I mm -hmm. bet Walter knows the answer. What? Yeah, right. Here we go. Ready? <laughs> Here's the Diva Challenge question. One of Whitney Houston's biggest hits was... I will always love you. <gasps> Can I sing? No. Aww. But what other diva actually wrote that song and recorded it 20 years prior? Huh. I shall repeat. One of Whitney Houston's biggest hits was I Will Always Love You. But what other diva actually wrote that song and recorded it 20 years prior? Call in, win a prize. I know you can Googleize that and get the answer. Okay. All right. 
I'm surprised Walter does not know the answer to that. This is, he can sing I, the I song. Didn't, yeah, I can, can sing s- the song too. I didn't know. You didn't know that? No. Oh my gosh. I just found out. Me you too. Just, like, you guys just Googleized mm-hmm. it, didn't you? Mm-hmm. I Wikipediaized it though. Would, really? Well, the, you... Wikipedia is not a good option. Oh. <laughs> Okay. Well, we're uh, and everybody's answering it on Mixler. Right, so People, you got to call in. Mixler. Give them your quote of the week, Angelica. Let's see what you've got going on. Since we're talking about myths, do you have a quote related to the myths this week? Yes, myths and facts. Actually, very nicely related to Walter's read of the week. Here goes my quote. Facts are stubborn things. And whatever may be our wishes, our inclinations, or the dictates of our passion, they cannot alter the state of facts and evidence. I like it. And that was, I know who that is too. That was John Adams. Our second president. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Long time ago, speaking yes. of the 70s. He did that when he was an attorney, before he was president, um, and when he was uh, uh, defending some clients in a case against the British Empire. Um, yeah. So facts are stubborn things. And that's the problem we have in SLA is that there are facts, but people don't want to believe them. People want to go by who knows what. I don't know what. Um, so we need to get those facts out there and, uh, ch- and, and dispel some things and talk about myths and facts and things like we're doing today. And keep doing it. All right. Um, okay. We have a call. Oh, my gosh. We already have a diva question caller coming in, it looks like. Good. Okay. Um, Walter, let's test your knowledge again. What does MN st- stand for? What state is that? Minnesota. Minnesota. I'm going to check right now. Hey, Aaron, are you on the line? Yes, I am. It's kind of hard to hear you, but I'm here. Oh, well, I can hear you just fine. Okay, good. Well, good. Oh, now it sounds better. Okay, well, Aaron, uh, Walter just confirmed that MN stands for Minnesota. I knew that, but I was checking him because, you know, you never know what these chipmunks know and what they don't know. So. <laughs> right. All right. So, Aaron, you're going to answer Aaron, the... stand up for me. Come on now. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to... I didn't look it up. I'm guess. I think I know what well, it wait, is. Well, wait a minute. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me repeat the question for people. Um, okay. And here it goes. One of Whitney Houston's biggest hits was I Will Always Love You. But what other diva actually wrote that song and recorded it 20 years prior? The answer is... Dolly Parton. Yay! Very good. Okay, now you're going to get a prize. I'm going to double your prize, Aaron, if you can tell me the following. It's a two-part question. What song, I mean, what movie did Whitney Houston sing the song in? And... What movie did Dolly Parton sing the song in? Whoa. Oh, my gosh. Okay, The Bodyguard. For Whitney Houston. Yeah, Dolly Parton. Check out Mixler. There's a bad word in it. I don't know, Dolly. You know the one? Oh, my gosh. It was a great movie with her and Burt Reynolds. Check Mixler. Before my time. All right. Well, it's before all of our time. Well, I acted before my time. Actually, okay. I don't know. Okay. So uh, Dolly Parton actually wrote that song in 1974, but then she used it. They used it in the movie Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. Um, Yeah. And so she sang the country version, of course, and then um, Whitney Houston did the rearranged version. And you want to know when Whitney when Whitney Houston won the Grammy for that song? You want to know something, Aaron and Walter and Angelica? What? I want to know something. She didn't even thank Dolly Parton for writing the song. What? Yeah. Rude. Yeah. Didn't even oh, write man. rude. Anyway, all right. Well, I guess I guess what, Aaron? You're going to get a, a you're going to get a 1.5 uh, prize. <laughs> okay, you'll get your prize. And we'll throw a couple of half half of a prize in too because you got you got the bodyguard right. Okay? Awesome. All right, Aaron. Thanks, thanks for love, calling in. I love all the questions. Thank you. Okay, right. Bye-bye. Bye, Aaron. Take care. <coughs> oh my gosh. I thought I was going to make it through without coughing. Did you notice that I haven't been coughing that much lately i'm yeah. very impressed oh my gosh i'll tell you this that flu really did me in i tell you oh really 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 did okay moving right along um so what's going on in mixler we got all these people answering questions on mixler but they're not calling in what are they talking about tell me something somebody challenging the myths or somebody's claiming about anything about a myth on there angelica um some people were wondering about your myth number three what was your myth number three? You have to talk in order to learn. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, uh, and it depends on what you mean by learn, or you have to talk in order to acquire. Um, if you talk about language as mental representation, it builds up only one way, and that's through interaction with input, plus the internal mechanisms that process input and organize language in the head. Um, and so if it builds up because of that, talking doesn't. Um, make you learn anything um, it, because it all has to do with the way you process input and the way language is organized in your head. 
Um, and so some people think that um, talk is necessary for skill development. Eh, maybe, but we're not talking about skill development. And I'm not even sure it's necessary for skill development anymore. I used to think that, but I'm not so sure. I think skill just develops. It just as your as your underlying knowledge, your competence, your representation increases and grows. Then just it's just natural to start tapping that and using it, which is why your your output always systematically looks a certain way when you strip away all the conscious knowledge you throw in on top when you monitor your output. So, um, so yeah, so you do not have to talk in order to learn language. Language will get in your head by just listening and reading and watching and seeing and all that good stuff. Um, all right. That was my myth number three. Thank Did you. Did I clarify it? I think so. Can you talk like a chipmunk? <laughs> that was a German chipmunk. They're a little bit. They're a little bit smaller and a little bit browner in, I think, in Germany than they are here in, wow. in Michigan. So that's why it sounded like that. Now, myth number three: You have to talk in order to learn. You have to talk, right? You have to talk in order to learn, right? Right, Simon. Right, Theodore. All right. <laughs> I can't just laugh. I'm sorry. <laughs> Okie dokies. All right. Any email questions, Walter? Well, we've got an email question here. See, he can't do the chipmunk voice, so he I goes know, to that. I know. He goes I know. To that, Brit- I was going to say that bad, that bad Yiddish word, that, you know, British voice of his. But go ahead, Wally. All right. <clears throat> this is a... Uh... He thinks it's from Mary Poppins or something. Walter, can you do a British chipmunk? Can I do a British chipmunk? <laughs> <laughs> Angelica did a German chipmunk. Can you do a British chipmunk? <laughs> you sound like Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> Hello, Jesus. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. That was funny. Oh, well. That was funnier than a pig sliding on ice, I tell you. <laughs> Have you ever There's, seen a pig slide on ice? No, but there, it's pretty I, funny. I saw some video the other day about pigs going down water slides at a water park. It was pretty funny. Anyway. Okay. Give us an email go. question, Walter. <laughs> Give us an email question. This is from Connor. All right. Yay, and Connor. Connor. I like um, that name, Connor. Yeah. he uh, Connor did his degree in Spanish literature in Massachusetts, and then he took a job in Nashville. And now he's here in Michigan. And he's been listening to our show, and he has a question for you. And the question is, and he loves the show, just so you know. Okay, good. I'm sure that you already know that, of course. But uh, he says, what resources do you recommend for busy teachers interested in incorporating your brand of SLA into their classrooms? I've skinned through your recommended resources and find myself somewhat overwhelmed by the quantity of available information. I ask for both my own practice and so that I can direct other SLA-curious language teachers to a resource that is both rich and applicable. So mm. busy teachers, they want they want some stuff. Yeah, uh, it depends. First of all, let's just clarify th- about my brand of SLA, um, Connor. <laughs> um, what, I talk, what I try to talk about is what I perceive to be the known stuff out there, the facts about SLA and the facts about and, and what these might mean for language teaching as opposed to the things people think might be true. Um, and so, for example, you take the basic idea that um, input is necessary for language acquisition. Getting input into your classroom is not my idea of SLA. That's just SLA, that input is necessary. And so the consequence of that for language teaching is we need constant exposure to input um, uh, for our students in the classroom. Um, so I, I want I don't want I want to make sure that's not my brand of SLA. There might be some things that I am pushing slightly on, um, but for the most part, I, I think I've been I've been pretty faithful to the idea that the things we talk about are standard and accepted things out there in the field. Um, okay, so as far as resources go, um, tea with BVP. That's tough. Yeah, tea with BVP is always good. Um, <laughs> I think that I, I, it's hard to get resources in teachers' hands because a lot of the stuff that I read, for example, are all the technical journals and things. And you don't want to read those things. And there's not a lot out there, unfortunately, by LT people written for teachers. So I'm going to give you a couple of my things, um, Connor. Um, Walter mentioned one time in a reading segment, one of his things, he mentioned my book, From Input to Output. Um, 
uh, a Teacher's Guide to Second Language Acquisition, published by McGraw-Hill. That's a very readable book. You can sit down on some rainy afternoon and read it in four hours. Um, I have the new book coming out with Actful this year. That's going to be Principles of Language Teaching. Again, very chatty, very conversy, not jargon, um, not one of those kind of books you'd find in, in, in an academic press. Because um, I like writing for teachers. I really do. I like writing for the lay audience as well. So I like to put stuff in people's hands to think about. And then the book that Jim and I did, Making Communicative Language Teaching Happen, has some good chapters. Some some I don't agree with anymore, which is why I don't want to do another edition of that book. But there are some other really good things in there, too. Um, and again, written for <clears> – that's <throat> got a little bit of an academic style to it, but but not a lot. It's very readable. It's used in a lot of classes across uh, the country. So uh, that book with Jim Lee, Making Community Language Teaching Happen, my book, From Input to Output, A Teacher's Guide to Second Language Acquisition, the book I got coming out with ACTFL. And um, I, I think that um, there's the, a lot of stuff that you're going to find in language teaching aren't going to connect to SLA research very well um, because it's just for various reasons. Which I want to get into the show. Um, you, uh, you're not going to find that link with those materials. So I'll stop there because uh, we got some calls coming in. We got a phone call from guess where? From Phoenix, Arizona. And I think it's our friend Mikey calling from Phoenix. Mikey, you're on the line. Hey, this is Mikey. How we doing? It's the fourth. Mikey. Great. It's the Hi, fourth Mikey. It's the fourth chipmunk. Yay! <laughs> Mikey, can you talk like a chipmunk? Um, you know, I'm not going to do it. it oh, man. It's recorded and it's heard by thousands of teachers worldwide. So well, hang on. We just that. all did it, Mikey. Yeah, except Walter sounded like Mrs. Doubtfire. So. <laughs> In my British accent. <laughs> so, Mikey, what's up? What are you calling about? It's nice to hear your voice. Nice to hear your voice, too. Um, I, you know, it was great seeing you guys all at Actful, and I heard a story there. I don't know how this relates, but I just thought it was a beautiful story. And I don't know who told me this story because so many people – so much action at Actful, and the story was that a Spanish teacher who was a new mother decided that she was only going to speak Spanish to the baby and that the father, of course, didn't speak any Spanish at all. And this would be the language that the mother would, you know, all the, all the things that happened with babies doing that. And she came home from work one day and she, I guess the story was that she was surprised or angry. She came home and the father was with the baby and the father was speaking Spanish with the baby. And she said, what, Hey, what the heck? You know, that's <laughs> supposed to be my thing with the baby. And so someone told me this story and it was just interesting that the father was not the intended audience yet he acquired and was able to use it with the, with the, with the baby. So I think that's, I don't know how that relates to a myth, but it makes me think about motivation, engagement, acquisition, and how sometimes these things happen unintended. Right. And I've just, since I heard that at Actful, I've just been thinking about that and wonder if you guys have comments or, or maybe, Bill, maybe you told me that story. I don't know. I did not tell you that story. Um, <laughs> but two, it speaks to that third myth um, that you have to talk in order to learn. Clearly, the husband was just listening and was learning some Spanish along the way. Um, but the second thing is there's actually research out there, Mikey, um, that's been done on this. Not a lot, but a couple of pieces of literature. I, and don't ask me to quote it. Um, I think Allison Mackey actually worked on this um, and maybe a couple other people. That, where they did an experiment where they um, videotaped some sessions. And um, what they did is they did a pretest and a post-test on some ability with I forget what. Um, and so the people who participated in the sessions, the ones that were being taped – improved from pretest to post-test. And then there's another group who just watched the videotapes but weren't the students in the classroom or weren't the students in the group. And sure enough, they showed gains in ability and knowledge after the videotape. Um, and there wasn't a grammar class. It was just interaction, right? So they were, they, were listening, they were listening in on other people's conversations and acquiring some language at the same time. Um, I'm, I'm going to have to look that up so I can quote that correctly because I'm, I'm remembering it now with some distant memory. You know, but my age these days I could be remembering wrong but I don't think so so yeah and so that's that story fits in with kind of what we know about how some of the things work you can acquire incidentally when you're not the, the target this is why for example in classrooms when if you're reaching wide and your classroom is interesting I could be talking on Galga but if Walter's listening um, 
because we're doing something interesting, he's going to acquire language. I don't have to be talking to Walter for him to, to make use of that input. Right? Right. Done. Yeah. I have to be listening well, to you, though, I, and I, I don't do that very often. So. Oh, well. <laughs> I, I think the other thing, it speaks to your point that, that this, the husband or the father in this case, nothing about page 32 ended up in his head. Right. Because that's not how he was exposed to the language. Right. And if, even if he was, if he, and if he did get page 32, eventually whatever was on page 32 wouldn't wind up in his head anyway, at least not in the part that's responsible for language acquisition. So, Yeah. Cool. Well, there you go. Well, I'm glad I got to share that story because I love that story. That's a great story. I'm going to keep that. I'm going to file that away in my little Alice brain, and hopefully I won't forget it. And I got to let you go, Mikey, because I got one more call coming in, and I don't want that person to feel hey, left out because our time take, is running out. Take so. care. All Happy right. holidays. Okay. Same to you. We'll Bye, Mikey. That. Okay. Be take safe. Take care, Mikey. Okay. Thanks for calling. Send Bye-bye. Us, send us some good weather. Bye. All right. Um, I think I can't quite tell from the screen in front of me if we've got um, a call. I think our call got dropped or something. Oh, yeah. I just said that we lost the caller. Oh, so much for our phone lines. And I see Dustin work on the phone lines there or something. So, oh, I could have kept Mikey in the line. Look at that. I, I bet I could have made him talk like a chipmunk. Yeah, probably. I could have made him I could have made him talk about that. Okay. We can try that in 2017. Well, I've got a question if we want to. Oh, never mind. We've got Becky on the line. Becky, oh, are you Becky. there? Hey, Becky. Hello. Hi. Hey, Becky. Where are you calling from? Uh, New Hampshire? New Hampshire. That's what I thought. Yes. So, so what's on your mind? What's going on? I got a couple well, of minutes here before I have to close the show. So, all right. So I uh, I teach um, using the Owl method, uh, movement base and CI and immersion. And my question is, if you think it's um, you know useful to ever give the you know the definition um, from the target language in the L1, or if it's just a slippery slope into speaking too much um, English in the classroom. No, not really. I mean, it depends because if you're making yourself, I mean, I do that um, and it never interferes because what's going to happen is that that will happen more at the beginning than and that will eventually phase its way out, um, particularly if you're being focused with what you do over time. So, mm-hmm. no, I, I don't. It can be a slippery slope for some people, but I don't think it has to be. Okay. Right. Okay. So, yes, yeah. Thank you. so yeah, so ju- yeah, so yeah, it's and sometimes slipping an English word in there if that's the L one uh, slipping an English word is the fastest, quickest way to just get that meaning across, and that's okay. Okay, but it's not uh, taking away like if I say I always tell the students it's like putting yourself on top of the mountain, putting someone on top of the mountain without having them work for it, or do you think that that's not necessarily true? No, because remember, if your focus is on communication, expression, interpretation, and meaning in the classroom. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you if if your goal is to communicate something and you spend all this time going around and around and around and around for ten minutes and people still don't understand what the hell you're talking about, you could have <laughs> set, you could have had ten more minutes of comprehensible input and stuff and interaction because mm-hmm. you all you needed was one word. Yeah, so right. That's 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 okay. my reason for that. Okay. All right. All right. Thank Becky, you. Good question. Thanks for calling okay. in. All right. Thank you. Oh, it's that Bye. time. It's that time to wrap up, you guys. I can't believe it. Time flies when you're. Not on Prozac. I don't know. I don't know. I'm when you're that. having fun. When you're having fun. Because we've had a great time. 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 Who's uh, recovering from the flu that I think I gave him? Uh, our media producer, Luca Giappone. Thank you, Luca. The talented and trusted call handler and our 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 big muscle guy, Dustin DeFelice, our wonderful assistant production manager, Jeff Maloney, the College of Arts and Letters at Michigan State University, especially our Dean, Christopher Long, who I saw the other day. I love our Dean. He's a great guy. As a reminder, the ideas and opinions expressed in this program do not reflect those of the College of Arts and Letters, any of our sponsors, or any other official entity of Michigan State University. And of course, we always thank our listeners and fans out there. You make our show. Thanks for calling in today. All right. Remember, we're on vacation until January 12th. Catch up on old episodes in the meantime. Stay away from icy weather and snow. Until January, have a great Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, winter solstice, or whatever you celebrate. And of course, happy second language acquisition to everyone out there. Say goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. Auf Wiedersehen. Guten Rutsch. How do you say Auf Wiedersehen in chipmunk language? Auf Wiedersehen. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Wally, you cracked me up. (laughs) 
Oh, you guys crack me up. Bye, everybody.